0: Kia ora. Good morning. morning. I have um, just got back from Malaysia and when I get up to speak, one of the places that I go, I've been going there for many, many years. And when I get up to speak, before I actually get a chance, they all yell out, Kia ora. Kia kaha. So, um, what a what a great way! They know what it means as well. So, uh, still working a little bit on their pronunciation, but uh, it's it's just great to to be focused on who Jesus is and to be together. I appreciated Hunter's comments and a couple of things Bruce shared, which has given me a great lead into my message today. And I don't want to be the Christmas grinch, but it is. Christmas time, and it is the end of another year, and for many of us, especially those of us getting a little bit older, you think, where did that year go? My gosh, they go by so quick. But Christmas is a great time of year, not for everybody. It's difficult for some people, particularly people who have lost loved ones and, and face other area. And But for all of this, it comes with its challenges as well. And if we let it, it's a time that can become very pressured and demanding and also very materialistic um, at this time of the year. So I have a question I want to ask you that we're going to look at in a passage of Scripture, um, which is a question Jesus asked. So the question is, what is in your barn? And what is your treasure? What are the most important things in life for you? And I think this time of the year, it's a great time to consider this. So let's go to the passage. It's in Luke 12, 16 to 21. And he, being Jesus, told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the rich man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. One of the great keys of the parables for the Jewish culture which they all understood and which Jesus obviously was the master at producing is a parable is a story that is meant to make you think and keep on thinking. So they're not conclusive frequently. They don't have an answer. You think, okay, what happened Like with a prodigal son and that story? They're meant to make you think and keep on thinking. So the question I want to ask today is, is your success or your treasure measured by having to build a brand new barn to store all your worldly wealth? Or are you overflowing personally with the joy of the Holy Spirit? And is that causing your own life and the life of the people around you and the world you live in to change for the better? I frequently ask the question, I've asked it here many a times. Is your barn a storage facility for stuff that belongs to you and is heading for the dump? Remember, we've talked a lot about everything you material that you own and your treasure, your watch, your clothes, your TV, all those things are going to finish up at the tip. So, is that what you are storing? Is that your wealth? Um, or is it something else that we have discovered and keep rediscovering, which is a key in life? So, in James chapter 1, we're given a principle on how to get our prayers answered from God. But actually in this short passage, I find there's a lot of other treasure which I want to talk about this morning that we can get out of this passage. So James starts off just making a request to help us make a request for wisdom and to go after a request for wisdom. So he says this, we're reading from James 1, 6 to 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So I want to talk a little bit about this. But... Here's firstly what we need to understand, what we need to get. God is not about granting any request we make of him that is selfishly or foolishly motivated. He wants to grant requests to us. He's our father. We're his sons and daughters. He loves us. He loves to give to us just out of love uh, as well as equipping us. But he wants to grant requests that are wise and that are framed up in a way that is consistent with his character, with his work, and with his purposes for our life. And to understand this, we really need to keep getting a fresh vision of who God is. It's one of the reasons we worship. There's many reasons we worship. But one of the reasons we worship is to get a fresh Vision of his majesty, his glory, his holiness, his love, um, and, and that he is majestic. He is God, and that very statement should set him so far above us on one level of who he is. And so. It is crazy when we remind ourselves over and over again of who he is to think that we can control him or that we can force him to conform to our ways. It's just not going to happen. And we're in for a very frustrated life and relationship with him if we think we can discover formulas that force God to respond to us. He's God. There's nothing more to be said. He just made the statement in two words, I am. And that's the end of it. That's a huge statement. Only God can make two words count like that. It's a huge statement. So what James is bringing about, our understanding, is that Jesus is primarily controlling all things On the basis of what he is doing. On the basis of what his purposes are. On the basis of the mandate his father gave to him. That is primarily what Jesus is working to achieve every minute of every day and in everyone's lives. He wants to please his father by fulfilling the mandate that he has given and he is being limited in one degree of having to produce a big portion of that through his people, us. Ephesians 3, 8 to 10 explains that. Jesus has, got, has been mandated by God to produce a lot of what God wants him to produce on this earth through his people, and it can never be, life can never be about us first, and uh, certainly not about our will, and we need to thank God for that, we are fallen human beings, I know we've also been redeemed, and I know the Holy Spirit resides in us, thank God for that, but we are fallen human beings, and most of what we see on the six o'clock news which we've said many times before is not an accurate reflection of what's happening in the world but most of it does reflect what fallen humanity produce and it's not pretty. It's not wonderful. It's not great. It's bathed in blood and world wars and selfishness and, and horrible uh, inhuman things that have been, that happened to humanity a lot. That's in our current news about New Zealand and that situation. Jesus cannot afford to delegate the direction of this planet and his will and his purposes to you and I in a fallen state it can't be done so we need to understand and right here at christmas time when there's a strong focus on what am i getting out of this it's my holiday it's my break it's my time as we know many marriage marriages get in disaster over christmas because they go away on a holiday and the husband and the wife haven't worked out who's meant to be doing what And they all want a break from the things they've been doing all year and there hasn't been any interaction. That starts on the holiday and sometimes it's a disaster. So the answer is not only to work it out first, the answer is to put Jesus in the middle of it. See, Jesus didn't come primarily to work with us. He came to call and empower us to work with him. We need to get it guys we need to get it. Jesus came to call and empower us to work with him. It's about him. It's focused on him. God's passion is primarily or firstly on him. So we need to line up with that, which means Our focus primarily must be on Christ and his kingdom, not ours. And James assumes when he talks about getting wisdom from God and when he talks about us getting our prayers answered from God, he assumes we understand that Jesus comes first. This whole deal is about Jesus, not firstly about us. And Jesus is not an open bank account that we can withdraw from any time we like. And by the way, guys, nor should our life be to others. Sometimes, um, here's a good word to parents. Love your children. I delight in giving presents to my kids as they were growing up and now my grandkids. I still do. God delights in giving things to us. But often you walk into the living rooms in Western world countries on Christmas Day and it looks like a department store exploded in the room. It's fine to be generous, but don't teach your kids that this is what Christmas is about because it's not. It's not about it. And many people and many places I can go, and Hunter has been talking about this this morning, the only Christmas box presents they ever give is something that we've sent them from the Western world. They ever get, sorry. It's the only time they ever experience it. Many of them are hoping just to get enough food to survive the day. And it's not that we've got to live in doom and gloom. God's made us prosperous. We thank Jesus every day for that. But it's not the focus of life. Don't make it the focus of life in the Western world. Because if that's the case, it has become a God. And it has become something we worship and hunger after and long for. And there is no future in it for us. So to be fulfilled... Our request must be in harmony with the principles of God's kingdom, which are always based on our relationship with him. So here is a statement from Oswald Chambers. It takes a little bit of listening to. I love it, sort of. There is nothing easier than getting into the right relationship with God. Unless it is not God you seek, but what he can give you. That's quite a statement. Go for a walk sometime today or tomorrow whenever and think about that. There is nothing easier than getting into a right relationship with God unless it is not God you seek but only what he can give you. You see, the deeper our relationship and the stronger our belief, the more likely our prayers are to be in line with God's will and then God will be happy to grant them and there's the key to answer prayer right there. It's right there. So James also talks about doubting. And this is so misunderstood and so misplaced, so hopefully I can help with some understanding about it. So to clarify what doubting really means, it does not mean that we fail to have a strong enough belief or faith. The Greek word for doubting, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I do know how to pronounce this word, is diakrino, And here it is, the Greek word for doubting literally means to make a decision upon a correct judgment, or that's for not doubting. So hear this and you'll nail this concept, bear with me. In the literal Greek language, a doubting person is a person who is not completely convinced that God's way is best. This is not, oh, I've got to get enough faith, got to believe, got to believe, and then I'll get this thing that I've been demanding from God. The whole thing about doubting is, ah, uh, I don't know whether God's way for my life is best in this situation. I have an alternative view. I have an alternative desire, and I am weighing up that against the will of God. There is the Greek word for doubting. I have some options. One of them's God's option, which requires some sacrifice. One of them's my option, which will bring something to myself. And in thinking all about it, I think my option is better. There is doubting. That is the literal Greek description of doubting, which is translated somewhat poorly in English. See, such a person retains the option to disobey And frequently this is how we make poor judgments because it comes by first considering our own feelings, what we want, or our own reasons, or the world's ideas, or the the lusts of the world that get into our life, and then considering God's commands, and then we say, I am going to choose the one I most desire, And in most cases, when we go down that road, our fallen nature triumphs over our redeemed nature and we will go after something which is based in the lusts of the world. In most cases, it will result in a selfish or self-focused request, which long-term won't benefit us and won't benefit the people around us. We have this battle every day, brothers and sisters. I believe we have it specifically at this time of the year. But we have it every day. See, the essence of our faith is making good judgments Based on the belief that we have entered into something that God is also in. Martin Luther said, don't do anything you can't ask God to bless. I have used that as one of the guiding sentences of my life. What are you about to do, Bruce? Can you ask God to bless us? Well, no, not really. So I'm just going to leave him out of this decision. And it doesn't work. For me long term. Don't do anything that you can't ask God to bless. So the position of doubting is actually just about having a divided loyalty, which, according to James, leaves the person as unsettled as the restless waves. Now, I know we've got a few surfers around here. I'm not really a water person, but I understand I've sat many hours alongside the beach watching the waves and watching what happens. And James uses that as an example, saying you're just going to be tossed about like you often see a log or a piece of wood uh, or a hapless surfer sometimes being tossed about by the wave. James is saying that's what your life is going to be like if you walk this way. So we have to rely on God to know what is best for us. We have to seek him for that. We have to ask him for wisdom for that and then trust that he will lead us into what is best for us in every situation and every circumstance. It's important to, to do this. So faith is not wandering about. Seeking our own goals, our own rewards, whatever we perceive them be from God. Faith is about finding his purpose, finding his direction, lining our life up with him. Knowing that he not only wants us to serve him and to be enslaved to him. He also wants us to be a son and a daughter that he can freely bless with the confidence that that blessing will be uplifting to our life, not detrimental to it. And that's the role that any father has with their children. What I'm about to do for my son and daughter, is this going to build their life and be beneficial to them or is this going to be detrimental to them? And God sits there evaluating every request we make of him on that basis. And thank God he does. Remember the difference between faith and hope. We've talked about it a lot. Faith has a preceding word from God. For faith, a word from, we've had a word from God. Then we're asked to stand on it. Faith is, the, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, moving on. The principles of the kingdom of God, we've shared this many times, it's the end of the year, we're tired, I won't make it a quiz. The principles of the kingdom of God, the foundational principles of the kingdom of God are two things, faithfulness and obedience. The kingdom of God is based on faithfulness and obedience, regardless of where this leads us and what it brings to us. It has brought persecution and death to some people more so in the 20th century than ever. But it also has an assumption with it that we are going to mature, which is sanctification, transformation, and we're going to be fruitful. And part of this, back to Christmas again, maybe I am the Christmas Grinch, but part of this means we need to be in constant training and stay in peak spiritual fitness and physical, if you can manage it, and sign up for the long haul and the Christmas break is a great time to get back into training, not take a break from it. Linda is threatening me that we're going to be doing a lot of walking over Christmas and all sorts of other things. I won't tell you what I thought. I've been praying a lot for rain, so forgive me, <laughs> forgive me if that um, upsets your plans. But it's a great time to evaluate and say, I've got out of training. I have got out of my spiritual fitness plan. I need to recover it or get it for the first time and get into it. And it's, we need to understand that God's calling on our life as well as the fact that it's a privilege and a benefit. It's also there to produce what God wants to be produced on this earth in our lifetime. See, I personally believe that evil is contained and constrained by Christ. I really believe that. I've got a million scriptures for it. And much of it only flourishes because of the absence of the expression of the kingdom of God. See, a big part of this world's problem, in my opinion, is the church's denial of the biblical mission or mandate to go. Jesus called us and said, go. I'm sending you, go. Go where? John 17 says where? Go out into the real world and express the kingdom of God. Go out into the real world and show them what marriage looks like and what family looks like and what business looks like and what um, ecology and economy and justice and education look like. Go, go, go. And the fact that we haven't gone, in many cases, and I know many thousands of people have over 2,000 years, but the fact, particularly in the Western world, in recent years, Part of it because of our end times belief that we're getting out of here. We haven't gone. And while we as the church withdraw from society and stand idle, doing nothing, it lets the fallenness of the world flourish. And worse still, often we conform to its lusts. We conform to its desires. We see Christmas just about getting presents and relaxing and doing nothing and becoming undisciplined. We get caught in thing instead of celebrating the birth of Christ, celebrating time to spend with family and friends, celebrating time to reach out to those who don't have family and friends that we can spend time with. We're commissioned and empowered to bring God's light into all the areas of darkness. And we do this through prayer, through worship, through loving the world, loving the hurt and damaged people, speaking out against immoral laws and fighting for the rights of the oppressed and getting out there in an attempt to demonstrate how God really meant society to work. That pattern is in his word and the empowerment of producing it is in you and I. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And that's the mandate of all of us. Go, go, go. Where are you going? Are you staying at home to build another barn for all your material wealth and possession? Or are you going in your heart? I don't mean you've got to get on a plane or a boat and go overseas. It doesn't say that. It just says go out and be. Go out and be, and you'll be a light. Everywhere you go, you'll be a light. Scripture does not teach that Jesus will return to a perfect world. Matthew 13, the wheat and the tears grow up together and then the end will come. But it does tell us that we are to occupy until he comes. It's in Luke 19. And in the Greek word, this word refers to retaining or gaining the possession of of which was occupied previously, which is what God always intended us to have. So I want to move on. Romans 8, 14 to 17, I'm not gonna go there, but it's a beautiful passage that teaches that we are the children of God, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, and that, and here it goes, guys, here's the Christmas gift. We are freed from a merely human powerless or meaningless life because Jesus came right as a little baby because he became came as a man. We are freed from this. We're now sons and daughters and we can call God our father and he listens to us as a father. He guides us and he advises us as a father. He coaches us and he commissions us as fathers do. And we are here by divine appointment and divine assignment you are you are here the day you were born the country, the family you were born into is divine appointment and divine assignment that is upon your life and we are here by the command and the will of the father and we are told by him to occupy until he returns which means we are the present custodians of this planet as his church and though it begins with our personal life and our family, the gospel of the kingdom is intended for the whole of creation. And Romans eight fifteen tells us the whole of creation is crying out and saying, come on, you guys, come out here and redeem this planet. Come and bring an expression of the kingdom of God. Come and express light into the world of darkness. The whole of creation is longing for it. And we can't ask God to come and do it when the word of God says, he commissioned and empowered us to do it. Jesus is not going to come and do the things he's empowered us to do. As a good father, I am not going to do the things I'm paying my kids good pocket money to achieve. They say, well, I'm tired. I can't, well, have a rest and then carry on. He's not going to come and do it for us, guys. He's paid too big a price for you and I to go out there and do it ourselves. And we have to do it out of a passion and a love and a burden and a concern. And a knowledge that we can change things that most other people can only complain about. 2 Peter 1.3 promises us. Jesus has already given to us and made available to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know, here's an amazing irony if you want to call it that. Satan wanted to be seated alongside of the Most High God. Instead, he got put amongst the earth people, us, some of whom, you and I in Christ, are seated in the heavenly places where he wanted to be. Colossians 3 says, if you're in Christ, you're seated in the heavenly places. Satan longed to be seated in the heavenly places. Instead, we have been seated there, and even the least of us, according to Matthew 11, has full authority over him, has full power over him. Guys, we have been empowered to torment the tormentor. We have been empowered to take off him what he wrongly holds, to take off him the position that he is meant to be in. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Psalm 16 verse 3, beautiful passage. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Who are the majestic ones we are? So I want to finish on a scripture. Psalm 46, verse 4. In fact, over Christmas read the whole Psalm. It's amazing. There is a river who makes who there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God wants this river to be flowing today. It's you and me. We are the river. We're the river that makes, whose streams we are the streams, who make glad the city of God. The church is a river. We are the streams as individuals who make glad the city of God. And this river reveals itself by our way of life and us bringing great refreshing to others. It is free, but it will cost us our whole life and requires total surrender. So here's where I finish, where I started. Back to the question, what is your barn full of? Is your project over Christmas to build a bigger barn for yourself and your possessions? Let's make our plan over Christmas to fill our so-called barns with the glory of God. Let's focus on the wealth he has given us through knowing him, what he has been able to build in his life. Let's have an attitude, as much as we appreciate what's under the tree, to count all things as lost through what we have gained through knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what will go through eternity with us. So God bless you, and may you have the best Christmas ever. Let us pray.